Hello, hello, and welcome to the Compliance Crosswalk Podcast, where we discuss the intersection between security, privacy, compliance, and risk management. My name is Blaise Wabo, your host, and joining me today, Ty Lambo, uh, with his own private company. Um, today, we'll be discussing the lessons learned from cybersecurity in 2022, and also we'll look at a 30,000 feet view of the digital threat landscape in 2023 and beyond. Ty, welcome. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thank you, Blaze. Very good. So why don't you take a few minutes to introduce yourself, kind of tell our audience here um, your kind of your path in the industry, what you currently do today and uh, who you work for. Um, I'll give you the short version. I'm Ty Lambo. I'm the founder of HISPI, which stands for Holistic Information Security Practitioner Institute. I know it's a mouthful. Um, I'm regarded as a serial entrepreneur, cybersecurity and risk management pioneer. I tend to build things that are five to 10 years early, you know, both a blessing and, and a curse. Um, blessing because people see you as a thought leader, curse because you have to be extremely patient and educate the market, you know, and before people actually see it as a viable solution or product. Um, I've co-founded a number of organizations in the U.S. Um, in the U.K., I've co-founded a company called CyberCops Europe back in the late 90s, um, moved to Atlanta with my young family at the time. Both our daughters now are adults. Um, 21 years ago, um, history is one of um, my proudest accomplishments. Also founded... Um, cybersecurity advisory companies like eFortresses, Cloudy Assurance. Uh, my most recent company is a publishing company that helps people self-publish from manuscript to published in six weeks. And it's called Lambo Publishing. Go figure. So we help people publish at the speed of um, a Lambo. I'm published. My oldest daughter is published. So we help people self-publish. So we're helping leaders, CISOs, especially now to pretty much put their stories into print, um, to kind of like their professional memoir, and in some cases, autobiography. So if you want to learn more about that, um, history.org, um, org, and lambopublishing.com. I, I, I also published a, a fictional novella, which pretty much allows me to connect to, to younger folks, you know, teenagers, you know, I discovered at a very early age that I had a knack for tinkering and breaking and fixing things. Um, more trial, actually more error than trial, you know, trial and error. Um, so that's a passion I have, just being able to connect to, you know, younger generation and helping them avoid the pitfalls, you know, of the dark web and just, you know, using knowledge for good is really the idea. So I've been in IT 33 years across four continents, Africa, um, Europe, North America, and Asia. And I have 26 years of those 33 years in information security. So I started really early. I've held leadership roles, you know, deputy CIO, CISO, director, you know, for both private sector and uh, commercial sector and public sector. City of Atlanta was their first CISO. I also worked for a company that um, printed checks for 5,000 banks uh, way back when, you know, several months ago. Um, also helped some friends at the Federal Reserve, you know, to pretty much build 
kind of mature their security program. So that's kind of my claim to fame. So as you look at 2022, if you could summarize um, um, cybersecurity um, um, from the U.S. and the world perspective, you know, what are some key takeaways for you? Well, I think you kind of, you know, when doing that planning, you kind of helped us sum it up really well. It's the three hours, um, and I'm going to say the first one, Russia, um, ransomware and resiliency. Um, I would say for me, I think the pandemic pretty much prepared us for 2022. So in 2020, well, late 2019, and then obviously for the rest of the world, um, early 2020, we experienced a pandemic that we kind of expected would happen at some point. You know, I call it like a hundred year pandemic, you know, from what we've seen from history, but we weren't fully prepared. So if there's anything, this three hours, Russia ransomware, increase in of threats from Russia ransomware and you know the need for resiliency has taught us is that we need to hope for the best. Uh, we need to be optimistic, but we also have to plan for worst case scenario. You know, we have to plan for the worst. So I would say for me personally, that's been the major takeaway, you know, just to kind of be a little bit more introspective and say, Am I really prepared, you know, even though I'm very optimistic by just by nature? Um, so I can then apply the same mindset, you know, to my clients, you know, that I serve and other stakeholders. Absolutely. I, I love the, the idea there on resiliency. I think to your point, um, the world is a very different place today, right? And we have to adapt. And uh, w the days of saying I'm too small to be attacked is, is not a solution anymore. Or the days of saying I have cyber insurance is not a solution anymore. You have to be to build a resilience program to be able to uh, to bounce back uh, whenever you get attacked. I know you're a builder and you're a writer as well. Um, um, AI, artificial intelligence is, I mean, where we are today than, than a decade ago, it's somewhat scary. <laughs> I, I was reading an article that said, you know, in a few years, if, if you're calling, let's say, um, um, Pizza Hut for to order pizza, it, it might be Google that's picking up the phone and they will mention they bought Pizza Hut and you'll be ordering your usual and they will recommend not ordering that because your cholesterol is high. And then you told the operational person on, on the phone, well, I take medication meant to uh, to kind of manage my cholesterol level. Then that that AI machine on the phone will be able to tell you, no, no, uh, you haven't bought your medication in a while. And you you ask that person, how do you know? Because I, I can withdraw cash. And they will tell you based on your bank statement, you haven't withdrawn cash in two years. Now, that's scary. That's where we're going. But that's where AI is taking us. Ty, what is your take on AI? Well, I mean, you put it really well. It's scary. I mean, this this... I don't know if this is a, I would say, a judgment on humanity. If AI is starting to, it, it's the one that has to fact check what we say. <laughs> like that means, you know, integrity is out of the window. But um, I think it's good. AI is good. I mean, there's opportunities, always opportunities to automate things and make things more effective, make things more efficient, you know, in every industry. And I think automation and using, I'll just say computing is a very good way of doing that. I mean, we've seen the benefit over the past, especially 
you know, 20, 30 years, you know, with after the dot-com, the whole dot-com uh, boom. I would say it's good, but we need to watch out. I would say I'll probably predict, yeah, and I don't have a crystal ball, but just based on the trend I'm seeing, AI is good, but we have to be careful with AI, what I call AI autonomy. And I'm not talking about the stuff we've seen in the movies, like, you know, machines wanting to destroy humanity. That's not what I'm talking about. Who's checking the output of the algorithm? Who's validating that, you know, the basis for um, the algorithm is not, there's no some bias or there's no some error built into the algorithm itself. So if AI starts to drive everything, we just need to be careful that humans can still provide checks and balances and um, I would say governance around the use of AI. If we're not careful, we may see AI, autonomous AI, actually start to attack systems. And based on, but it would have to be based on somebody programming that AI engine or system to do it. It could be misinformation. It could be actual attacks, you know, that we've seen. Um, gone are the days where we had to scan systems, you know, like we had to download a tool, you know, figure out how to run the tool. You know, I come from a very technical background. Now it's like everything is a service. Even ransomware is a service on the dark web, right? So I would say the bad actors are probably 10 steps ahead of us in terms of figuring out how to use the same technologies that we're trying to use like AI for good. They're, trying to, they're probably 10 steps ahead trying to figure out how to use it for bad. So we just got to be careful. The governance around it is going to be very, very key. Ty, I, I love that aspect. Um, I was in a different healthcare security session earlier uh, last week, and uh, we spent over four to five minutes of the full hour talking about how do we govern AI. So I'm looking forward to, to pick more on that topic on our next segment here. So I think this is a good segue into our second segment. As we look at the digital threat landscape in 2023 and beyond, what are your thoughts? Let's talk about, you know, privacy, artificial intelligence, state-sponsored attacks. Um, um, the fact that cyber claims at some point might not become insurable because the cost is too high. Um, I've seen this trend in the past 10, 11 years. Um, I, I was heavily involved in, in that industry. So there's a guy um, in Pennsylvania that owns a company uh, called Net Diligence, uh, Mark Reisinger. Shout out to Mark. And Mark puts together two conferences a year, once one in Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, and another one in Santa Monica, California, at least two. And I think there may be one, another one in Canada. And this is where all the top insurance kind of congregate, um, all the big names. You know, you pick the top 100 major insurers, but the ones that focus on cyber, so the ones that have cyber um I guess cyber issue cyber policies. So the the underwriters, the brokers, you know, the I think you could, you could probably even have like the reinsurers, you know, like the big names. 
And what I saw 10 years ago when I used to sit on those panels, it was mostly the CISO panels and panels with some of the insurance underwriters. It was like the Wild West of insurance, right? Anyone who can fill out the application form typically got, you know, they got coverage. And like Grant said, it was it was relatively cheap. In a CISO role, I've actually experienced that where, you know, we we did kind of a dog and pony show with, um, I'm not going to mention any specific names, but when I was with the city of Atlanta, we had an insurance broker, big name, big, big name, that basically did a dog, help us do a dog and pony show with uh, the major insurers, at least the top 10. And some of them were virtual, some of them were physically at City Hall. And I showed them kind of uh, my strategic plan that the mayor had bought into and my boss who was the CIO. And I said, look, we really suck. Our security program is very, very mature. Um, six months into this job, we have a two-year plan. We're going to be really great in two years' time, and I think we'll be insurable. And then the feedback I got is, actually, you are insurable now. You're actually a relatively good risk. I'm like, what? <laughs> they said, yeah. And I said, please explain to me how we're good. I mean, this is me trying to say we don't deserve to get insurance. And they said, the fact that you have a plan and you know what your gaps are, and you're working towards fixing those gaps, you know, subject to the budget, the authority, the autonomy to get it done, like you've laid out in your plan, actually puts you 10 steps ahead of most municipalities. You know, most municipalities don't even have a CISO. They don't even have a cybersecurity team. They don't have somebody like you that is trying to say this is a problem. And they basically sit in dock. And I'm like, but that's, we still suck. They're like, no, we act, you're actually better. So we, we got insurance. And I left that role about a year later for many reasons, but mostly because a two-year plan would have become five years. And I just wasn't willing to stick around. You know, next administration, different priorities. And I didn't want to take that chance. So I resigned and gave four months notice um, so I could get the money for year two. And this, um, we all probably have heard about the highly publicized uh, ransomware attack that hit the city of Atlanta in, I believe, 2018. Uh, at that time, I was, I was already at the Federal Reserve helping a friend out you know, much, to my child. Um, he's actually two friends, their program. And my phone was buzzing. And I didn't, everything I read, they followed the incident response plan. They followed everything. The, the new mayor at the time got in, you know, was doing daily press briefings. They said, we're not going to pay the ransom. I put that in our policy, you know, and they followed it. We're not going to pay, you know, we're not going to succumb to this hostage type situation. And so they became the model for a city that actually stood up to the bad actors and said, we're not going to pay. Now, it was a $50,000 ransom demand. The city, from what I read, you know, public information, ended up spending $17 million in recovery costs. So it started out as the Wild West. They're starting to tighten things up. But I'll hate to see a situation where a company that has a fairly good mature security program cannot get insurance and they have to self-insure. I think there's, there needs to be a balance somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. Ty, I love that story about your time at the city of Atlanta. I've heard that at least twice, two times already, but every time it, 
it captivates my attention. So thanks for sharing that. You mentioned a lot, Ty. You mentioned one of the things, one of the two of the key things you mentioned uh, was risk awareness, right? It's important to be aware of your risk. And I think any organization in the marketplace today in order to have a mature cybersecurity program, it starts with with uh, being aware of what your risks are. And a good definition that I read about what risk assessment is, it's essentially a measure of uncertainty. You need to measure what what is uncertain for your business, right? And you also highlighted the point, um, Ty, about essentially business impact analysis. What is the impact of your business if a threat was to propagate in your environment? And then you prioritize how to mitigate that, that threat, right? Or that risk essentially. And Ty, you basically rolled us back in into the idea of operational security, right? It, it's all, it all ties back to your operations. So on that note, um, let's talk about communication. How should CISOs in 2023 and beyond be able to um, um, articulate to the board of directors? Hopefully they can even get an invite uh, to the board or they get the calendar meeting um, set on the, on the CEO's calendar or the CEO's calendar. But from your perspective, provide kind of um, um, your, your tips to uh, existing CISOs or security managers on how can they articulate um, a cybersecurity program to their board in order to uh, mature that program over time? I mean, most, I don't know any organization that wouldn't, that would thrive or even survive without operations, right? So operations, operational initiatives and activities would always have to be like the the core of everything you do. So I, I, I think I like your approach to seeing cybersecurity as an operational risk and focusing on that operational risk and technology is just maybe a vector, right, or an attack surface, right? So I like that approach. I think part of the challenge we have in our industry is we, we speak very different languages to the business. So the business understands P&L, they understand balance sheet, they understand statement of cash flows. I just happen to know those things because I've been an entrepreneur and I pretty much have to do it all um, in many cases, especially when I'm still in the building stage of, of a company, right? So, but that's the stuff I, I didn't even want to know at some point. Like it was like, just not in my, in my lane. I wanted to stay in my lane as a subject matter expert. But because I've been forced to do those things, it's kind of helped me. So when I have a conversation with the CFO or CEO, you know, I, I'm thinking the CEO is thinking from a COSO standpoint, you know, for corporate governance, and as well as the CFO. The CFO is thinking more from AICPA if they're in the U.S. Um, if they're international, there are other equivalents to AICPA. So, so I kind of try and understand their world so that I can relate what I do. But one language that I've often used with the C-level is what is our breach probability and what is our risk appetite? Because when I say risk appetite, I, they, I said, they'll say, what do you mean by that? As an organization, are we, is our risk appetite low? Like the only type of risk we'll tolerate or risk tolerance, you know, there's some minor differences, but they're kind of the same is low. Anything above low, we're not going to accept. Or is your risk appetite, uh, risk appetite as an organization, if I was an enterprise CISO, it was my client, and I'm a virtual CISO, 
is it medium? Once they tell me what that appetite looks like or tolerance looks like, I could then map that back to, let me figure out a way to quantify their risk on that rating scale. And if I can say, hey, currently, you know, we've done a, I've done a current state assessment, you're currently at medium risk or high risk, and your risk appetite is medium low, then they know that we have to do something. That would then help me justify the budget I need. And I have this rule as a CISO and even as a virtual CISO with my clients that I, I recommend to my clients. I don't force them. Spend 80% of your security budget you know, even if that's $1,000 or, you know, $5,000, 80% on people process. So security awareness training, hiring people, you know, giving them incentives to do the right thing. You, know, you could call that some sort of reward program, you know, for people reporting like phishing, you know, phishing, you know, maybe phishing tests, you know, reporting it or actual phishing attacks. 80% goes to people and processes, having your processes documented and operationalized and repeatable, 20% is technology. If I see a company that, or security department that is spending 80% on technology and 20% on people process, I, I can easily predict they're going to have a major breach fairly soon. Unless they were like a technology company, right? If they were, let's say, you know, who's like, yeah, Palo Alto Networks, right? You know, I mean, they're in business of security. So they may be investing 80% of that, you know, security budget on technology. I'm just using that as an example. There may be some exceptions where they're investing more money on technology. But if you're kind of an organization that is not purely a technology company and you provide services in the, you know, any whatever vertical you're in, I would always say, 80% on people process, the capital P, the capital P, and less on the technology until you get your program to a point where you're fairly mature. And then maybe you just need to make more investments in refreshing your technology, you know, so you can, you can pay back some of your technical debt. But that's kind of my approach. But being able to communicate to the higher ops, whether it's the board of directors or, you know, if it's a city, the mayor and the cabinet, you know, um, the leadership in a way they can understand and they can relate to is very, very key. And it doesn't matter how simple it is. In fact, the simpler, the better when you're communicating risk. Uh, for our audience and listeners, uh, today we talked about a quick recap of uh, what happened in the cybersecurity landscape in 2022, both in the U.S. and and in the whole world as well, we highlighted the fact that um, Russia ransomware attacks and their resiliency plans were a big highlight in 2022. Um, we highlighted the fact that operational security is a must have for every organization in managing your, your cybersecurity program. Then we talked, we looked at the artificial intelligence, the fact that it's scaringly increasingly at, and growing at a very rapid rate and uh, it opens the threat landscape to things like privacy and uh, how do we govern that data and, and how do we regulate um, artificial intelligence as well. Then we ended up by talking and providing tips on the CISOs or security officers and how can you communicate an effective cybersecurity program to your board of directors and your executive team. So thank you for listening today. Um, we hope we increased your compliance perspective. Thank you.